Hey everyone, this podcast is with Adam Kitchener, 30-year-old retired property manager and full-time real estate investor. Adam has quite the story to tell. He built a successful property management company up to managing a thousand units, but lived in a constant state of overload to manage his business. And recently he completely burned out and shut down the entire management business. I thought this was a great chat about finding balance in life, remembering why you wanted to grow your portfolio or business in the first place, finding freedom through real estate investing and building your financial foundation through your twenties. For a guy his age, Adam has an insane amount of experience in real estate. The big lessons I took away from Adam's story are the necessity to not let the external opinions of others infiltrate your own internal path and the need to constantly reevaluate why you are doing what you are doing and if it makes sense for you and only you. Adam shared some honest truths of uh, some of the ugly side of real estate investing and I appreciate his vulnerability and honesty in sharing his full real estate experience. Near the end of the podcast, both Adam and I shared our opinions on whether post-secondary education is worth it for young young people today, especially for a young person who wants to start a business or invest in real estate. We actually put a three-page report at Rockstar together called, Does Paying for Your Kid's Education Really Make Sense? Where we compare the return on investment to your child of paying for their university education versus paying for a down payment on a starter home in Southern Ontario. The difference between the return on investment of one rental property versus a university degree might shock you. If you have kids of any age, this report is worth the read to evaluate how to best set up your kids for success in life. We've crunched all the numbers for you in this report so you can see a simple comparison of the ROI of that degree versus that property. You can download this report for free along with other reports we've put together like our newest report, Beat the Inflation Crisis, your practical guide to outmaneuvering rising prices and the destruction of your savings at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. Be warn though, reading these reports is like choosing the red pill in the matrix where you're never going to see life the same way again. That's my uh, Morpheus warning to you before you download those free reports. Actually, I was speaking to a rockstar member the other day and he told me that he was trying to rockstar pill his wife. And I thought that was a cool term uh, to kind of show people the other side of the traditional life path that we're all told about of go to school, get a good job, uh, save for retirement. And instead you, you know, the rockstar pill is like learning that you need these assets to build this financial foundation for yourself and the freedom that it can provide for you. So anyways, with that, hope you enjoy that report. It's really insightful. And Adam Kitchener's amazing story, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Um, no, Tom and uh, Tom and them have like a huge operation here. It's very, very cool. I've always been very, you know, like like you said, it's always been very attractive. It's like, oh, this is cool. It's like a little, uh, you know, group. Um, so that's why I think, yeah, I think it was uh, two years ago. I reached out to Tom and I was like, hey, you know, I think we should do a podcast. I think I have interesting, something interesting to say. And uh, I'm not the average investor who's just going to be like, oh, yeah, I bought a building for X amount and made this much. Like, that's not interesting for me. I think uh, my thing has always been I want to show people the other side, the, the real side of real estate, the stuff that people don't really talk about. Um, like, that's something that's always frustrated me getting into this world of, of real estate investing because you don't see the full picture. Like you mm. just see the glamor of it all. Exactly. And, and you see the, you know, yes, you see the financial gains over time and how people are using it to live life on their terms. Absolutely, 100%. Yes. But there's a lot of sacrifice yep. that comes with that. And I, 
it's not, I didn't necessarily know that when I started. Yep. And I don't regret starting. No. It's been probably one of the best things I've ever done for myself. Yep. But I wish it was talked about more. Yes. I think that's the things that we don't talk about is the sacrifices, the choices, um, the lack of balance. I think that's true of that. That's the big one for me has been the lack of balance, just yes. how hard I've had to work and the sacrifices I've had to make in my personal life that have yes. been like real genuine sacrifices. Oh yeah. You know, and that's something maybe I was naive getting into it. Yeah. Um, and I've done other stuff other than real estate, my like side hustles and that type of stuff. But so I think it applies to business in general. I think it just applies to, um, anyone who actually wants to be successful in whatever field they're in because a soccer player, a movie star, a CEO, a real estate investor, they all make the same sacrifices, which is I have to give a hundred percent to this because this is the most important thing to get me to where I want to be. You know, don't, uh, the, it doesn't matter what career path you're actually going down, but the, the top 1% of their field all made the same sacrifice that we're making as real estate investors. Um, and it's, it's that lack of balance. There is no lack of balance. You have to be a total psychopath in a, in a mindset to go for something that's bigger than what everyone else has. If you don't want what everyone else has, you have to do what nobody else is willing to do. And that means not partying on weekends, not spending your money, not like living simply, uh, eating crow, working seven jobs if you have to. And then also there's the other side of the, um, the other side of the coin, which is the neglect on every other aspect of your life in, mm -hmm. you know, and health relationships, health relationships, friendships, friendships. like, um, yeah, I, I mean, there was times where I didn't see my friends for months, you know, uh, every relationship I've had is probably because, uh, failed because I neglected it, you know? Um, and it's like, well, I've got something I want to do, which is build something. I want to build, uh, this little, uh, foundation for my, my life and hopefully the future people that will be in it at that point. Um, just come up a little bit yeah, closer. No worries. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it takes a lot of sacrifice and I, I don't think that's talked about a lot. Okay. So you had a great, great first podcast with Tom. I was just listening yes. to try and get to know you a little bit better before this interview. We can link to that. Um, and we talked about your story, how you hustled your way from, you know, driving around Dragon's Den guys. Yep. Uh, it was a really cool story to then, uh, getting involved in real estate. Can you give us a quick two minute intro for anyone who hasn't heard that first one? It's been a few years, I think, since that podcast came out, just, uh, just a quick background and then we'll get into your real estate. Cause I think you have a story to tell here about property management and investing and burnout. Yes. And I would love to get into that story specifically, but just give us a quick intro if you can. Uh, basically, um, based on, uh, the life that I grew up in, uh, stability has always been something that's very important for me. So I always set out from a very young age to find that stability and the, and the stability for me was real estate. I always thought, it will always be there. I can go and I can touch it. I can feel it. You know, it's not like a stock where um, one minute it has value, the next minute it doesn't. Uh, real estate always has value. It might go up and down as we've seen recently, values have actually gone down, um, but you're not going from a, an asset where it's worth a million to zero. You never go straight to zero, you know? Um, and I think that real estate is the only asset that doesn't actually have that real chance of going from something to nothing or nothing to something. It's not, it's never been an overnight success. It's always been long-term. So that's what's always attracted me to real estate, not having the means or the funds. I've had to work my, my ass off essentially to get there. I had to work three jobs, um, many, many years doing tiling and painting and flooring and kitchens. And, uh, I started 17 different businesses and they all were bad ideas and they all failed. And I just, you know, kind of kept going. And actually one of the very good and, and relatively successful businesses was my car business. 
Um, I found that there was a, a gap in the taxi industry. This was before Uber came along. I thought there's something that's missing here. There's a very old stagnant industry. Um, so I wanted to do a very high-end limousine style, concierge style car service. And I drove CEOs from all over the world and they would come and sit in my car and I, and I was crafting this uh, high-end concierge style limo service. Um, and then Uber came along and they had uh, about $50 billion more than I did. So I decided to exit that field and go back to real estate. Um, so I went into real estate. Uh, I worked, you know, whatever I had to do to make a dollar. I saved my first down payment, grinding my teeth and um, bought my first property. I was able to turn that into a income producing asset. It was a burr. I was able to, uh, when I bought the asset, it was the drug, uh, it was the drug den on the street. It, it really Where was. Where was it? In Woodstock. Okay. Yeah. Um, I bought that asset for two fifty. It was on Kijiji. I didn't even believe the ad was real when I read it. It was a two-line ad. It said fourplex, uh, I think, for sale. Um, call Tim. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, so I'll call Tim. And I'm like, Tim, I'd like to see your fourplex. He's like, it's on Delater Street. Uh, I was like, all right, can I meet you? So I, I, I was there. I called Tim. He's not there. He's like, ah, just, just walk through the building. I'm like, uh, One of those okay, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, and so I walked through this building and there's holes in the walls and there's cabinets missing and everything looks like shit and the roof looks like crap and there's missing bricks. And how old were you? Uh, this was 2016. So 24. Okay. Well, um, no, that's not right. Yeah. 24, something like that. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so I, I walked through this building and I'm like, this is the shittiest building I've ever seen. And even the, like the buildings were half empty and the units, I walked through them and they look like crap. And I'm, and I was probably in and out of the building about five minutes and I'm like, okay, I've seen enough. Thanks. Drive away. And as I'm driving home, I'm like, Hmm, why is this building sticking with me? Like, why is it sitting in my head? I look at hundreds of properties and I've been through shit properties. And the minute I walk out the door, it's like, it's gone. It's forgotten. It's like a, a bad day. You don't think because you, you were hunting for your first property. You had been through a bunch. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even to this day, I probably walked through a thousand properties by, by now, but you only remember the good ones, the bad ones. You just forget about It's like, yeah. Oh, that was, that was a shit property. The really bad ones. You remember those ones you really remember. <laughs> yeah. And this one stuck with me. And I was like, okay, well let's sit with this thought. Why am I, why am I sitting with this thought? Okay. Well, it needs new kitchens. Okay. Well, I have a kitchen guy. It needs to be renovated. Well, that's what I do. Like, I'm going to renovate the units anyways. I don't want someone else's finished product. It's missing a couple bricks. Okay, well, get a brick guy. Needs a roof. Well, technically, every roof needs to be replaced. It's either one year from now or 20 years from now. Like, yeah. you know, um, and, and suddenly when I broke it down, it didn't actually seem as scary as I thought it would step be. Step by step by step, yeah. Right? And the other thing, too, that I really noticed when I was driving in is that the houses on the street were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, these are old, like 18, 19, 19th century Victorian homes with like nice wraparound porches. A lot of them mm -hmm. had the, uh, the steel roofs or the ceramic roofs, and they had lots of money and beautiful lawns put into them. Um, and this was just the, the, the diamond in the rough. Um, and at the time I just thought it was rough. And I was like, you know what? I think I have an opportunity here. And so I did my research and I was like, you know what? It's two fifty. If I put, you know, 140, 150 into this, put a lot of blood, sweat and tears of my own, I can, I can make this work. And at the time, a fourplex in the area was worth about 500. I was like, I can, I can make this work. So I put the offer in and, uh, and the guy's like, well, I don't work with realtors. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm working with realtors and the legal team. And we're like fine tuning, like 
I, I don't even believe you own this property, sir. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim. Tim, you know, I'm like, come on, Tim. <laughs> so, no, we, we actually did the research, and my lawyer's like, no, he owns the property. He owns $20,000. He owes $20,000 in back taxes on it, so he's about to lose the property. Um, but, yeah, no, this is a legitimate deal. So, we, uh, my lawyer double-ended the deal, or not my lawyer, uh, my realtor double-ended the deal, closed the, closed the sale, and... I was the owner of a, a fourplex in, in Woodstock, and that was my first property. Um, and then I went in, fixed it up. I went back to the bank. I, I, I got the deal with Scott. Was it? No, I think it was first. Who was it? Optimum? I think Optimum did the mortgage. And about six months later, I went to Scotia Bank, and I was like, "I've got a building here worth six hundred. And they're like, "You bought it for two fifty. Like, yep. They're like, "Look at the numbers. The numbers make sense." And they're like, and you had bought it, fixed it up, and rented out all the units. At exactly. That point? Yeah, all, all four tenants uh, were brand new. Um, the building was cash flowing, and I think that was at a seven percent cap rate at the time. Was was, and I was like, it's worth six hundred. Um, either a six or seven percent cap rate at six hundred. And how much of your own money did you sink into it? About one hundred and fifty. And then I mean just sweat equity and a lot of sweat work, equity. So, yeah. I mean that was 150 also paid for a lot of contractor work as well, like the con uh, the kitchen guys and um, plaster. A lot of and what I did as well is I actually worked a lot with them. So I painted because uh, that's an easy task for every landlord to do. You should paint your own units. Um, I'm not the best drywall guy, so I hired a drywall guy. Uh, my kitchen guy has an installer for an extra 200 bucks. I can pay his installer to do it, or I can spend three weekends trying to figure it out yeah i was like here you go yeah you, you buy know. speed exactly yeah um i think i turned that property around in about two three months and uh so six oh. it was about the six month mark I, I i work very very quickly time is of the essence i'm like no i gotta move i gotta get my money in and out of this property as quickly as possible mm -hmm. uh, we did the eavesdrop we had a brick guy and he's been like redoing the bricks and um but the interiors were all completely gutted and renovated um, brand new tiles, brand new bathrooms, brand new everything. And, yeah. uh, and I also put in 40, uh, sorry, four furnaces. So every single unit has its own heating and cooling system, which is also, I believe at the time was also very rare. Now it's less rare. I think a lot more people are following suit. Um, but my mentality was I don't want variables on my bottom line. So I, I, I have most of my buildings run on mortgage payments property taxes and property insurance. Those three costs are all fixed. So I don't have that unexpected $400 gas bill or that tenant who runs the shower 17 times a day and I don't get a $300 water bill at the end of the month going, oh my God, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. um, in many properties, not all of them, this one I still actually have the water bill. Is that a multi-unit thing multi that you follow? Oh yeah. So when I buy a multiplex, I go in, get behind the walls and replace the plumbing, the heating and the electrical and separate all three utilities. Um, it's very time intense, it's very expensive, but in the end, it works. And especially when you go times with, like this, where there's so much variables and movement and inflation, I'm not worried about getting unexpected bills. I know my costs are rising, but it's in a controlled fashion, so. So it's just those three fixed expenses, your mortgage? My mortgage, property taxes, and insurance. Okay, yep. do you follow the same strategy with single family homes? Are you buying single family homes right now, just multiplexes? I don't buy single family. Okay. Um, obviously the, the rule is, uh, put as many people under one roof as possible. Um, and I, I, like, I'm not one to knock different investment styles. There's people who do Airbnbs, there's people who do student rentals, um, and there's people who do, uh, single family rentals. And, uh, 
I, I'm very much a stay in my lane kind of guy. Mm-hmm. My, my sweet spot is multifamily. I like multifamily. Uh, the numbers seem to work a lot better. Um, could I make more money in Airbnb? Absolutely. People are like, why are you even renting long-term? Why don't you just Airbnb your units? It's like, I like peace. When you see the numbers work better for you, how so? Which numbers are you looking at? Um, so I mean, referring to specifically. So when I look at, um, my properties, I try to, yeah, I'm trying to fix my, my expenses, but also it, it lessens, um, my exposure. So, I mean, if I've got four units and one tenant stops paying, I still have 75% of my rent. Mm-hmm. If you have a single family home and one tenant stops paying, you're now carrying an entire property all on your own. Yeah. Um, and again, now with that being said, there's also advantages. I mean, for you to offset, uh, uh, offload a single family home, it's a lot easier than yeah, a- it's very than a lo- Exactly. Um, so if you're, if you're looking for something lean, it's probably single family. If you want something more long-term that you're going to hold on to for a while, multifamily is, is the, is the way to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm trying to lower my exposure. So if one tenant doesn't pay, it's like, okay, well there's 75% of my rent still coming in. I can still make things work. Yeah. Um, economy of scale. Exactly. Everything's under one roof. You're just driving to one location. Correct. Common parts in the home. You know, you're not fixing. Well, you mentioned that actually that you have furnaces now in each each unit, Either, each unit. But you know, but before a lot of multi-unit investors would say, you know, there's one furnace for the house. You know what I mean? So. Exactly. Well, I'm. It's either a furnace or a, a an air. Um, what are they called? Ductless splits. Okay. Those uh, electric wall units. Um, they're becoming more popular, and I've been putting them where space does not permit a furnace. So. Okay. So I've never heard of this. How does this work? Um, they're they're air handlers basically. They're just wall mounted. They um, they just sit like you can usually put them right above a window, which is dead space anyways, and they produce air conditioning and heat. Just it's an electric service, um, which is actually uh, starting to become more cost effective as the price of gas goes up, especially with the administrative fees and all that sort of stuff that uh, your your gas bill has. Oh wow! With my tenants, it's like you have your hydro bill, but it pays for your heat and your hydro, and you're paying, I would say maybe fifty sixty dollars more to have your heat with your unit and, and a hydro service, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. you've already paid the $30 administration fee to just have the hydro service with hydro one or earth solutions or whatever they are. Right? Now maintenance wise, how does it compare to, to having a furnace? Actually it's, it's lower maintenance because they don't have the filters. So every three months you have to change your filters. Yeah. You don't have to do that with an air, air handler. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, I, w- I would like, if I was a landlord, I would talk to my, um, heating guys about these ductless splits. Now there is downsides. Um, it does depend on where you are in Ontario. They are only suitable for so much cold. Once it gets to, you know, uh, I think it's negative 30. Okay. They're useless. They won't work. I mean, they, they, they work, but they're not even going to be able to keep temperature or, or, you know, work as well as a furnace. Um, they're getting there, you know, they're getting better as years go by. Um, but, uh, for anyone who has like Northern properties, it's not gonna make sense. Okay. Um, that's more of a conversation where you have to talk to your, uh, to your heating guy and also knowing the heat rating of your home too. So if you've got really strong insulation, you've got, you know, um, well insulated attics and walls and stuff like that, you might be able to get away with it. If you've got an older property, um, is this a multi-unit thing specifically? Like, could you set up these heaters for like a triplex? Oh Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can put them in, in single family homes that, that a like single family home too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Uh, they are, a, they are a growing, 
uh, alternative to, Interesting. to furnaces. Yeah. Okay. So now, okay. So you've got this fourplex, you've gotten involved in real estate at this point. Mm. When do you get into property management? Because that's really, uh, I think what we want to get into today is, is your story with property management, growing a business, burning out from the business, finding some more balance. Yes. So I, uh, I went into real estate, um, sorry, property management. Actually it was right around 2016. I was hired as a property manager. Um, I was kind of like, not really recruited, but brought in, uh, cause I was running another building, uh, or I was working for another company and they brought me in and I actually, I think we talked about this on the other episode. Um, and then eventually I just kind of, um, built my reputation as the one property manager who was able to basically be thrown into the shittiest buildings that Ontario has to offer. Mm. And I could mat like basically turn them around. Um, and I had done that several times for several different landlords to the point where landlords were approaching me like, Hey, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And I eventually had to turn that into a business. I was like, all right, well, I can't be doing property management for this company under this banner if I want to take side jobs. So um, I started my own. I started running other people's buildings. Um, there's actually a popular YouTube video where I showcase one of like the uh, a tenant nightmare, basically drug addict smashed mm -hmm. up all the walls and stuff. I, I uh, watched that video before this interview. Yeah. So I searched up your name. Yes. I, I just cleaned up my rental property this weekend that looked exactly like that unit. Exactly. So I just went through it myself, man. Um, and so I just became known as the guy who's like the, 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 the pit bull that you send in when you can't fix a problem, you send me in. Um, so how are you doing it? How are you cleaning up these, these terrible buildings? It, did you just know the like the LTB, all the forms to file? You were just hitting them with everything you could? Basically, yeah. I mean, that's it. And I mean, then screening better tenants, turning the units around, attracting a higher quality tenant. Exactly. I mean, I would go in basically and, and, and show that I, I'm, I'm the new sheriff in town. And I'm talking about, this is not my buildings. These are not nice buildings. My, my, my buildings are very, very nice and tenants are fantastic and I love them and, and they're very, very good, well-run buildings. I'm talking about the guy who says, hey, I've got this like rundown building and it's filled with crackheads and, and whatnot. And basically I would go in there um, basically as this like wild sheriff with no authority and I exert this no authority through knowing the landlord tenant board and exercising every right that was at our disposal. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I would even use the city against the building itself so they would come in and be like, this is not good and this is not good. And I'd be like, all right, well then write me up so I can then file paperwork to get them evicted from the property. So, so you'd call bylaw on yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, I heard of uh, another yeah. investor uh, here who told me they did that to get a tenant out. I was like, yeah, that's yeah. creative, man. Um, now, I mean, and that, and that's the thing is like, now that's going to paint me in a bad light, which I've had enough news articles written about me that, you know, um, they've painted me in a bad light. Now with that, Oh, because said, tenants have complained yes, to news outlets about, exactly. about what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, there were, was, were you doing anything wrong or no, there was one building. Um, it was known as uh, hell's gates literally. Okay. So it sounds like a wonderful place right from the start. That and was the name of the actual building or just the nick? I mean, the, the nickname of the building. Okay. You know, Where was it? Um, in Hamilton. Downtown Hamilton? Yeah, downtown Hamilton. It was a beautiful building. At one time, it actually was. And I was basically told, you know, we need to, we want to clean up this building. We want to renovate it. We want to get these units up to market value. Um, but, you know, we've got the situation. And this is the lowest of low. These are the people that society forgot about. The city of Hamilton dropped the ball. Um and this is a lot that speaks about our lack of public funding for mental health and housing and all of that sort of stuff. So these people were just basically left to fester in this building. 
And the problem is when you don't get good resources, when you don't have access to things, your life just, what, what are you going to do? You find drugs and that was their lives. They just, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the one guy in the middle of the night would like to run around with an ax and chase, you know, tenants into their apartments and they'd barricade themselves inside. Um, the, uh, the one guy was ripping copper out of the wall. Um, and then the one lady in the basement, I go up to her when I first showed up the building and I says, um, you know, where do you live? She's like, well, this is my unit. I'm like, this is a basement. This yeah. is a six foot basement. Like I'm, I'm touching the ceiling. Yeah. So it's not code at all. And they had rented that out to her? And they had rented it out to her, not okay. the, the current owner, the previous owner. The guy who just he apparently lived in Poland, and he would send his son, and he'd collect as much rent as possible out of them. Basically, like, shake them and be like, oh, give yeah, order. Gonna... You know, like, it's like the, the, the landlord from Spider-Man, and he's like, rent, rent. <laughs> shake him down. You know, like, basically, right? Yeah. Like, he's like, old school landlording. Exactly. He's like, all I've got is this $20. He's like, I'll take that. You know, yeah. like, basically was how he yeah, did give it. Give me your watch. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's not suitable. So anyways, I said to her, I says, uh, you know, you can't live here. She's like, why? And I was like, it doesn't need code. I mean, if the fire department came here, they'd kick you out immediately. Yeah. They don't care about your landlord rights. The fire department trumps the landlord-tenant board. Um, Do they really? Oh, yeah. If the landlord-tenant board, uh, sorry, if the fire department deems your apartment unsafe, you're out. They'd rather have you on the street than in an unsafe property. Mm. So um, I says to her, I says, if there was a fire, how would you get out? She goes, well, I'd run out the front door. I was like, no, 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 no. There's a fire right here. She's like, well, I guess I'd have to call out the window. I'm like, the window over there. Yeah. The one with the air conditioner? Yeah. Can you lift that air conditioner? No. Like, you would die in this apartment if there was a fire. Mm -hmm. You can't stay here. I was like, what do you pay? $1,200. You pay $1,200 for this, this apartment. Yeah. So when the media wrote the story, uh, they tried to paint this building as run down and shitty and awful and rightfully so that was right mm -hmm. uh, then they tried to paint the previous owners a bit of a slum and i was like yeah that's about right mm -hmm. and then they said that i was hired to basically kick everybody out which what they failed to mention was that actually i went to that tenant in the basement and i found her another apartment for twelve hundred dollars that had a fire escape and windows and a door and ceiling heights greater than six foot mm. and it was around the corner and she was very very happy when she moved out and found a nice warm place to sleep uh, that I had found yeah. for her. Sure. But the newspaper didn't mention that part. Mm. They also failed to mention that uh, the refugee family that had moved to Canada and had nowhere else to go, so they were living in the shitty apartment in the uh, attic, were also rehoused with me. Um, and they didn't mention that in the article either. Jeez, yeah. Um, and then the third tenant, who was uh, trying to get off drugs, and getting off drugs and living in a building that's filled with it is actually quite a what quite a task i mean getting off drugs in in general is is bad but when you're surrounded by an environment mm -hmm. where it's not conducive uh yeah it's, it's very difficult so i happened to find another apartment for her and uh she moved out to welland and she isolated herself she moved away from that environment and uh she actually ended up calling me she had to find my number and like look me up or whatever and she goes you know i really really hated you at the time but i'm really glad that you got me out of that house my life has improved tenfold because I've moved out of Hell's Gates. And I'm like, interesting. Good. Can you tell that to the newspaper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, There's something really satisfying about going into a home that's run down and, yep. and really crappy and, and turning it around yeah. and making it beautiful and making the neighbors proud of it and mm -hmm. just making it, you know, a positive part of the community. 
Absolutely. That's been an aspect of real estate that I never expected, yep. but I've come to really enjoy. And this is just on you know my own single family homes that I've bought and it's been run down and fixed it up. And the neighbors came over and were like, oh my God, thank you so much. The tenants here had destroyed the place. Yep. Uh, you know, we've been dealing with them for years since you guys bought the place. Like the lawn looks good. The landscaping is good. The new tenant you put in is great. And they're very thankful. And it's, it's a really good feeling, like spiritually. Exactly. You're like, yep. I feel like I'm doing good for the world. Yep. Well, and that's exactly it. And I mean, um, and so I knew that the owners were going to clean up the building. That wasn't really so much. I'm like, they're going to fix it. And I think they're renovating now. I think they're still renovating. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm like, here we, we have these vulnerable people. Um, they can't stay here. I mean, as much as they'd like to, they held on clinging on to literally the only thing that they had in their life, which was this really shitty building that was, um, and I was like, no, 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 we're, we're going to get you out of the building but we're also going to put you in a better place when we leave uh, or when you leave. And, uh, and they did. Um, and the city was uh, actually got called in after the news article and they were very adamant that the lawn got cut. And I'm like, do you, do you want to help the people inside? Like these are, these are your citizens. And you know, they're like, Oh no, no, no. We're just here to make sure that the, the lawn looks cut. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I called the city. Not out. my job. You know, like the, the, the bylaw, officer was just making sure that the backyard was clean and the lawn was cut and, it, and I couldn't board up any windows because apparently that's against the rule. It, it is a big crisis. And uh, I mean, the police aren't trained for mental health and yep. drug addictions. And I mean, even to be fair to those guys, it's like they were hired to cut the, make sure the grass is cut and yep. board up the windows. And it's, it's tough. Yeah. And being a property manager, you really are exposed to a lot of this stuff in a lot of problems in our society, right? That are kind of swept under the rug. Absolutely. And, and no one's there to help them because again, the city wasn't able to help them. Uh, I tried to connect them with housing resources. They were like, I don't know. So the only way that they were moving out of that building was if I found them a place to go yeah. and I found them really good places to go that were affordable. Um, as a landlord, you also get exposed to things like you might see, you know, homes where abuse is happening or neglect. I don't know if you've ever had to call child services. Oh, That's I, something I, I actually just went through with my tenants. And this is part of landlording I never expected where I'm now so involved in, in my tenants' lives where, and I'm seeing these children, you know, being neglected in this, this home that I had just with the conditions of the home it was like a hoarder situation yep. and stuff um, to the point where I'm now calling child services and getting involved in, in this. It was like, I didn't sign up for this. I, I've dealt with that so many times. I mean, in my career, as short as it, you know, it's not, it's not a long career considering, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, but I mean, yeah, I've, I one of the, I'll touch on one quick one and I got another one, but basically I've seen death. I've seen drugs. I've seen overdoses. I've seen, um, yeah, when I was 16 on my birthday, we went out to Brantford and, uh, we had a complaint that the tenant was screaming all night long and we show up and the guy's overdosed and he's in the middle of the floor, just foaming at the mouth. Like there's literally, and it's just the most disgusting. This was your parents' properties? Yeah. One of my parents' properties. Um, and then uh, that was fun. And then the paramedics show up. They gave him an injection, I guess, of adrenaline or something, whatever they, they do. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, thanks. Have a good day. And we're like, oh, are you not going to take him? Like, no, 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 no. Like, what, what do you want us to do with him? So he survived and he was. Oh, yeah. yeah he was just having a withdrawal or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, hey, man, rent's due in two weeks. Basically. <laughs> and, uh, and, the, and the police were like, can you take him away? He's like, well, no, he's not committing crimes. He's just doing drugs. Yeah. Jeez. What a situation. 
and and that's that's the problem that's where the mental health is such a big thing and that's what landlords have to deal with as well and we're not psychologists we're not trained oh to god do so, no yeah you know um, and nor do you really expect it getting into this like no. i doubt your parents ever one they definitely didn't want that two they definitely probably didn't expect that and it's like all right well here's this situation now oh no yeah we, we dreamed of the day that we would get to you know uh, kick the people out and uh, deal with drug addicts and and call yeah. the cops on like and it's not a good feeling either kicking uh, tenants out. No, it's not. Um, Despite you know like maybe it's damages to your property and missed rents and but it's still never like. I mean they they don't want to be kicked out either inherently I don't think like it's just a negative situation all around. No, it really is. Um, I think that uh, I don't know anyone who actually enjoys getting someone out of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, they what they what we don't enjoy is the damage and the loss of rent or exactly, yeah. the issues that are created with that tenant in that particular building. Yeah. Sure. Um, no, I, I don't know anyone who actually gets a thrill. It's like, Ooh, I made someone homeless today. That's that, that makes me feel good inside. Totally. Like that's not a, that's no. not a thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, it is, um, but that's the thing is, I mean, uh, landlords are also, uh, without training our psychologists and mental health counselors and, um, <laughs> yeah guidance people and we suddenly become financial advisors for tenants like there's a lot of you know things that we don't talk about and like i said when we look when you when you talk about the things that people look forward to it's like oh yeah i can't wait to renovate the apartment and i can't wait to meet the new tenants and and have this property and own it and give our kids a college fund um and and it's never followed by and i can't wait for the drug head to smash everything up and scare the single mom next door with her children yeah and i love picking up the heroin needles off the yard (laughs) You know, like that's just an, I picked up so many needles this past weekend, right? I picked up at least 25 needles. Um, but actually in the same building, um, we, I was in the backyard and this lady who lived in the building and in the other basement apartment, she was pregnant and, uh, she was, you know, high on heroin or whatever it was. Uh, I didn't bother to ask what particular drug she was high on but she was she was pretty messed up mm-hmm. and uh she's screaming and yelling and talking to herself and then all of a sudden she just stops then she walks into the apartment into the building and about 20 minutes later she comes out she's got a baby in her hands a what or, a baby a baby she gave birth to her baby in, she the, gave in birth. the building she walked in and gave birth yep and then she comes out the umbilical cords all there just out and about just holding the baby and i'm like okay cool that's a holy sight smokes. to be seen and then uh, the ambulance showed up and someone called the ambulance, I guess. And uh, they took her and they took the baby and hopefully took the baby away permanently because she was not fit to be a mother. And then uh, in the back of my mind, I think to myself, okay, so what happens to that child? Where does that child go? Yeah, no, I know. You know, I was so conflicted even to call child services and I didn't for a little bit because I'm like, I don't know if it's enough. And I was Googling it. Mm. And finally, I showed a video of the state of the unit to a paralegal. Yeah. Uh, that we work with here a lot. And she was like, look, if you feel in your gut, like if you're asking me the question, you probably should. Yeah. And I did. And I held off for so long and now I regret holding off, but yeah. I just had never been exposed to the situation. Fortunately, because I don't know, I had a fortunate childhood where I wasn't exposed to that type of stuff. Well, it, exactly. I mean, I've been through a lot of buildings. I was walking through one building and, um, you walk through the front door and the girl says, uh, Oh, I didn't have a chance to clean. Um, so just keep your shoes on. And I kind of looked around her apartment. I was like, yeah, I was probably just going to do that. Like this apartment was <laughs> yeah. disgusting. And she's like, yeah. I haven't had a chance to clean. I'm like in the last five years, mm-hmm. like hoarder, yeah. just everything to the Okay. Pile. So, so you developed this reputation yes, as uh, the pit bull who goes in, turns around these buildings. Yep. Definitely seen a lot of stuff for sure. Yeah. Um, where does it all, 
it seems like it's all going well. You got this reputation, you're getting more and more business. Where does it all go wrong? Not so much that it went wrong. It just, um, once I had kind of proven myself, um, I started just getting better and better properties, nicer and nicer properties. So I started managing. Uh, I started out managing the worst properties that, you know, Hamilton and Ontario, frankly, had to offer. Um, and then slowly I was able to fix those up and make them from bad properties to nice properties. And then I was able to tell people that already had nice properties, look at these nice properties. And they were, you know, they're like, okay, well you can manage then our nice properties. And I was able to grow the business that way. Um, and I got up to, you know, like I had a thousand apartments and a ton of wow. employees and, um, and, um, what really happened was, you know, it just kind of burned out because what had happened is I had been working so hard for so long. And what I lacked is any form of appreciation. Uh, this is a very thankless business, but also mostly from the landlords. Um, a lot of people ask me, it's like, was it the tenants that burned you out? And I was like, no, it was the owners. Mm. The owners is what did it. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was managing some wonderful buildings and uh, I did a lot of uh, on onboarding of brand new buildings. So th there was like a lot of purpose built properties that I would go in and they'd be empty. So the owner's like, okay, we need to fill this place as quickly as possible for as much as possible so that we can get our CMHC financing and flip this property and get back to normal lending and get this thing going. It's like, all right. So they'd say, okay, fill it up in six months. And I'd fill it up in four. And they'd say, oh, well, then you should have charged more. It's like, mm. you know, it, and it's things like that, you know, like, um, or, you know, people would, you know, you make, they would make a promise and then never come through with it. Um, not feeling supported. I was always the support. I was always there. Um, uh, for my tenants and for my staff, what I didn't have was any support whatsoever. And there was a moment just, I think, you know, back in August of 21, when I closed everything up and I was just like, there was, there was kind of like almost an epiphany moment, but also it started to affect my health. Like it was, you know, there was uh, I think it was April and May time. Was it the overwork or was it the lack of appreciation? It was a combination of genuinely, I think it was a combination of everything. Um, like it was April and May where I couldn't even get out of a chair because my chest hurt that bad. Like I couldn't lift myself out of the chair. Was it anxiety? Um, Just about everything you had going on? No, because at that time I was actually so shut down emotionally. I was on analytical, like I was just all mind all the time. I had completely shut down as a person. I was a, like a robot just on, on You get that like depersonalization effect. Basically, that's know. exactly what happened. I, I've burned out before and I felt that where I'm like, you feel like a shell yes. person, right? I had essentially became a shell of a person because yeah, so much scary. stuff was thrown at me at once. And I was like, flick, just off, emotions off, gone. Forget mm -hmm. it. I've got, a, I've got work. I think it's a defensive mechanism. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Your body just can't process everything that's happening around you. Mm -hmm. And I think you just shut down emotionally, like you said. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, go through the motions, detach. But it's scary, right? And that happened to me. I was, uh, I was so far disconnected from not only my emotions, but also, and then that also affects all of your relationships, even your personal relationships, mm -hmm. because you're no longer there. And it was even as if people were talking to me and they're like, I don't even feel like you're present. They did, I, I was told even by like, you know, psychologists, like it's like talking to a robot, you know, you're there, you're giving me answers and you're, you're intelligent, like intellectually there, yeah. but I still don't like actually feel your presence here anymore. Um, and that's, and that's basically where I was like, okay, what am I doing? I'm running a business. Why? And I didn't have an answer to that. 
I was like, who am I doing this for? Because um, I had made so many sacrifices, even for my employees. I had, um, you know, employees with children and I felt obligated to keep them, you know, employed. And uh, I kept trying to work everything, move everything around so I could keep everybody happy um, and keep everything going. And uh, even at my own detriment, I mean, I had one person who was off, you know, at home for a month so that they could worry about their kid and COVID. And this was in the heat of COVID and everything. So I was pulling, you know, I was basically going from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. just working in even just one building and trying to keep up and maintain everything and everything. And as soon as a ball dropped, I would go and pick it up. And then another ball would drop and I was just running around. And and then I, I did. I had that moment where I was like, why am I doing this? Why do I need to do this at all? Um, I have enough properties. I think I've done enough. I think I've proven to myself. And I mean, I think I've proven it to other people, even though I don't have to, uh, that uh, I'm more than capable of making it and doing this in this business because I think what happens as well is every uh, every um, successful person goes in with the mindset, I want to be successful and build something for myself. But then there's also the other side of it, which is not only that, I also have to prove it to other people that I can do it. Because when you go down the path, it's very lonely and everyone's like always in your ear, oh, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not good enough. Oh, well, you're not doing this. You're not doing mm -hmm. that. And it almost becomes... Uh, you're still going down the same path. You're still doing your path. But at the end of the day, there's also that like screw you mentality where I have to do it, not just for myself, but to show you that I can do it. And, and it's a source of fuel too. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, think, I think when someone's counting you out. Yes. And you'd be like, who are you counting out? Exactly. And you don't know what I'm capable of. Right. And then it kind of puts that little chip on your shoulder. Exactly. Where it's like, you might've been doing it already, but you can use that as extra fuel but maybe it can be against your, you know, to your detriment as well, possibly. And that's basically what happened. Um, and I kind of just decided, I was like, you know what? I've proven it and I've proven it to them and I've proven it to a bunch of people who probably haven't done half the stuff that I've done. Yeah. Um, I'm putting 90% of my effort into something that makes me 10% where I can put, where I've got my properties over here and they provide me 90% and I put very little effort into my own properties. Of, uh, you're talking you know, financially? Even financially, yeah. I, even of my wealth or however you wanna measure it. You know, I put, you know, once a building is stabilized in my portfolio, it takes a very small amount of time. Very small amount. A tenant calls me, my tap is leaking. Okay, I call the plumber, 20 minutes later, the problem solved. Yeah, it, 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 you're in maintenance mode. Yeah, exactly, and it's very easy to maintain a well taking care of portfolio mm -hmm. where when you run a property management business that's always that's always on the go you're always moving yeah constantly um, churning and burning exactly and there's no you never get to maintenance mode yeah um so i was like you know what i don't need to do this anymore so i just i stopped doing the property management um what was your initial goal starting out to get into business did you have dreams of traveling the world of having a lifestyle business were you just hyper ambitious and wanted to just grow something well, that was the thing is like when I was younger, my dreams were massive, absolutely huge. I was like, I want to be, I wanted to be in front of my, my wealth. I was like, I just thought it sounded cool. Um, mind you, when you're like 10, you're like, I want to be a billionaire. Sounds cool. You know? Yeah. Um, not realizing what it actually takes to do that, whether it's actually worth it in the end. And after meeting some billionaires, I went, no, it's good. This is in your uh, car driving Even in business. the business. Yeah. I met billionaires and I was like, it's not worth it. I'm good. Because you saw the sacrifices that they were making? Exactly. What, um, what were those sacrifices? Like, how did you see that from just driving them I mean, around? I, I know just a lot from of talking to them? Just from talking to them. I mean, I know a lot of billionaires that don't talk to their kids. It's like, what's valuable? What do you value in your life? Money or 
family and life, mm-hmm. um, what it eventually turned into for me, um, real estate is about creating freedom and that's what it is for everybody. It's, it's taking my time back. So now I'm at a point where, um, I choose what to do with my time. So if I want to spend it, uh, traveling, that's what I'm doing. I'm Are you traveling. a full-time landlord now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, so I just all this time you're building hobbies. your property management yep. uh, business, you were flipping profits and buying your own business or your own rental properties. Yep. Were you working with, were you doing joint ventures? Like how did you scale your own portfolio to the point where you're now a full-time landlord at how old? 30. 30. Yep. Um, so while I'm building the property management business, um, I was, yeah, I took Woodstock and I turned it to Ingersoll, turned it to Port Colburn, turned it to 20 other. You were just leveraging your port. Basically, yeah, leveraging the portfolio. Now, I mean, I was very good at picking properties. I'm very good at analyzing deals. I was buying properties for 300,000 and then refinancing that six, 700,000. Now, part of that was, you know, we were, and this was just before the uptick of the market. Um, I had already established a very good size portfolio before the market absolutely went insane. but do you have any quick tips just quickly, sorry, yes. on building your portfolio the way you did as an entrepreneur, because financing I know can be a challenge at times. Is it because it was multi-units and it was based off the income of the property? How were you able to scale? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the reason I was able to do it one, uh, partly was, um, it's multifamily. So yes, when an appraiser goes through, he's able to appraise it on, um, the net value of the income and work on a cap rate versus a single family, they're going to be comparing it to your neighboring properties because when you sell the property, they might not use it as an investment. They're going to be, they could be living in it. So you can typically get appraisals um, at higher than selling value if you use an appraiser that does it on based on net value of the property. Uh, net, um, like on a cap rate basis. Um, so I've had some very good appraisals come in because my numbers are also very, very good and my buildings perform very well. And that's because I don't have variables in my business. So if you want to get really good appraisals, remove the variables in your business. That's your heating bill. That's your water bill. That's your electrical bill. Yeah. It's a lot from the offset. I'm literally rewiring properties from the get go. And it costs me, you know, $20,000 to do so. But when it's done, I've removed that variable from my business there. Um, so that's, I'm able to get higher appraisals that because of that, um, mind you, you still have to work within the area that you're in. Um, property selection is very important. I feel like a lot of people just went out and bought whatever they could because they thought, oh, well, the market's hot. I'll just go buy whatever I want and it'll go up. Anyways, I still bought as if, you know, the market was not good and I bought the best deal possible. Um, So I was able to, when I did a burr, when I I refinanced, I pulled all of my cash back. I don't have money in my deals, any any of my deals. Um, And then... uh, Keep your, keep your numbers clean. Keep, you know, um, keep your expenses low. I was, you know, I had my buildings and that was it. I didn't have personal expenses. Um, that's, it's, it's are, you, be, are you still personally qualifying and backing the financing? No. These so, multi-units or is it completely based off the income? It is based off the income because also I, I'm past the threshold. I can't go back to a lenders. That's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. I've already got too many properties. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm working with a credit union. And the credit union basically does not care what my income is. They care about the performance of the individual building. Um, and I'm also buying now in corporations, which means the corporation um, does the proving, not me. So if you're an investor, uh, you can essentially get to five, I think maybe six. If you're with Scotiabank, you can push to, to six properties and then you're going to be capped off. You're going to be finished with the with the big A lender bank, Scotia TD, Royal Bank. 
Um, and then, so I was with Scotia and then they were like, yeah, we can't do anything else. And I'm like, why? My buildings make money. Well, yeah, you've got too many buildings. I'm like how? That means I'm good at it. Like, you know what I mean? Well, they just have a rule in their book. Exactly. And they refer to the book and there's the rule. Exactly. So then at that point, you need to start looking at credit unions. Um, so um, also make sure your terms are preferable because if you're going to start breaking mortgages, it gets pretty expensive. Um, so once you go to the credit union, you can probably just go straight to the credit union. You don't even need the, the A lenders. You can just go straight to the credit union um, and they'll lend 25, 30, they, like the guy I work with, he says he's got a client with 60 properties, six zero properties. And I'm like, that's an insane amount of investments for him, but sure. Yeah. Um, and it's all just the asset itself. How much does the asset pay? And it's all based on debt ratios. Well, great way to get your debt ratios to look really, really pretty, removing your variables. Remove the variables out of your business, and then you've got a nice, nice number at the bottom. Interesting. I like that. I like removing the variables just for that peace of mind. Mm. Nothing's coming up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's expensive. I mean, yeah. putting in sub-meter systems, is, it's expensive. I believe it's worth it. Yeah. Um, also, um, you're able to withstand uh, unexpected inflation, all these types of things. Because what was the rent increase last year? Two and a half percent. Okay. Well, gas went up 20%. Mm-hmm. So how do you recover that, right? So if you're paying the heat bills, now you, now your profit is significantly gone if it's not gone already. The other thing about, and this is actually the advantage to the tenant, which is when you individually power each unit, every unit's individually heated, all your problems are isolated. If you have a building with 10 units and the heat goes out, you have 10 tenants screaming, saying, I have no heat. Mm. When one heat pump goes in one of my units, only one tenant is calling me because the other nine are sitting pretty with their, their heat pumps and it's all working. Um, I mean, also let alone most of my units also have two or three heat pumps or, um, you know, so they're never completely actually out of heat. So they might've lost heat in the one bedroom, but they still have another bedroom and a living room with heat pump. Um, so takes a problem such as a boiler being out and done and like there was a building in Toronto and they had no heat for like a week and is that negligence on the landlord maybe maybe a little bit I can't really say but also when the parts guy says it's going to be a week what are you going to do blow hot air into every single person's unit yeah it's going to be a week so when I have a tenant uh who lost uh one of the heat the heat pump just stopped working it's it's you know it's a machine it's going to break just does every tap you know, and that's why you get mowing because they're easy to replace uh, the cartridges and all that fun stuff. But when the heat pump went out, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just leave the bedroom door open and it'll heat the living room, you know? Yeah. And is it ideal? No, it sucks. It still sucks. Yeah. But it took a crisis and made it a problem. So that's the other reason why you want to put individual heating systems into everybody's unit. I also put individual hot water tanks. So that way when the girl next door to the to the tenant that is calling you is saying, hey, they're, they're showering 17 times a day using the hot water, you know, uh, they're using all the hot water and I get none. Well, I don't have that problem. How many buildings already have this stuff built in? Or are you literally doing this to every building you're buying? Um, I've been lucky and I've had some buildings where they've had um, multiple systems already in place. Um, but like the last project I just did, everything was centrally um, central on one meter. It had two hydrometers, one for the front two units and one for the back two units. 
Um, it had one central heating system, one central hot water tank. Um, all the wiring was just a complete mixed match of, you know, run wires wherever you could. And I guess the previous guy didn't care because it was his electrical bill anyways. The bills were through the roof. The heating was through the roof. It was so inefficient. Uh, so I ripped all the walls down, ran brand new wires, ran, ran brand new plumbing. Uh, we're going to put in individual heating and cooling systems. And uh, Have you stuck with fourplexes with your investing? No, I've started getting bigger. Um, I'm, I'm looking at bigger properties. I'm trying to get... I, I typically don't buy anything less than four. Four seems to be the sweet spot because when I first started, um, it was good for residential mortgages. So when I went to Scotiabank, they could loan to value up to 80%, which was fantastic. They won't do that with a fiveplex. So that's commercial mortgage, which means you're into a different bank, which meant higher rates. Well, now I've already passed the threshold for Scotia, so it doesn't really matter. I don't need to buy residential properties anymore. I can buy commercial because I'm never going to go back to that. The other thing I'm never going to see again is 80% loan to value. So the only way I can actually do that is actually to go past the four mark and start buying larger buildings and hope that CMHC might look into financing these properties. Um, but yeah, so when I- What's the LTV like with CMHC? Is it more favorable? It is more favorable. Um, but credit unions, the one that I work with um, before was going up to 75%. So I lost 5% when I left Scotia and went to a credit union. Um, now, mind you, these are all last year's uh, mortgage rules. This year's mortgage rules is uh, you're lucky if you get 50% um, mm-hmm. at 5.95, which is uh, not so great. Um, so all of my uh, refinances essentially has been put on hold. All of my uh, construction, um, I'm still moving forward with you know renovations. I'm still maximizing assets and whatnot, but uh, I'm not able to go back to the bank and get the money back out. So I'm just carrying different private loans and mortgages and floating everything till everything kind of has to calm down. And then I'll go back to the credit unions when mortgage rules become more favorable and I'll get back that app, uh, access to that other 25% that I was not able to get for the last six months. Interesting. Yeah. So have you left property management entirely now? You're no longer managing correct any units whatsoever? Nothing. I'm so just you, doing everything so, all for myself. Okay, so yeah. you you wound down the business. Yep. Um, I'm sure that was a challenge in and of itself with a thousand units, employees. Yep. What was going through that process like? So a couple buildings, um, I walked away from the, the buildings I just, and that was part of, so what happened was, I think it was around April and May, I started noticing myself start to burn out and I was like, all right, I need to start shrinking this building, these buildings. I need to get rid of some of these clients that I'm not interested in working for anymore. So I dropped a lot of clients and I was like, if I can shrink my portfolio to a select, like, I mean, like a handful of properties yeah. have a smaller team, um, I'll keep it going. And so I did, I got rid of a lot of different accounts. Uh, the one owner just basically stiffed me. I was like, I'm not working for you anymore. It was a big blowout. It was a big thing. I'm owed tens of thousands of dollars. Um, you know, I could sue him, but what's the point? Like, honestly. Yeah, it's just better to move on yeah. sometimes in life. Um, so I, I walked away from that. Um, I was walked away from lots and lots of money um, and just was like, just for own peace of mind. And I was like, okay, now I've got a small little portfolio. Um, and I think it was like still June or July. And I was like, the heart's just not in it anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, um, so, and these were, the remaining clients were like the good ones, the one I was happy to keep. And I just realized that the heart's just not in it anymore. I'm not there. Um, like I said, I wasn't connecting with anything anymore and I was just completely out of it. And I realized 
the person that they had hired, the go-getter, the the the, the pit bull, the guy that was going to get you know uh, these buildings filled and turned around. Like I was seeing you know good rents, great tenants. My rent roll was always paid. I had a hundred percent collection rate during COVID. Everybody paid. Um, we were getting five star reviews like crazy. Everyone was happy. You look up every property in Ontario and it's just two, two stars. Everyone's unhappy with their property manager. Everyone's unhappy with their property and their landlord and all that. And we were having tenants actively write us positive reviews and positive feedback and always sending us emails saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, uh, it's true. A lot of buildings have terrible reviews. Oh yeah. Um, the majority, the majority of buildings are sitting at hovering at like a 2% star rating. Yeah. Um, and, and if you saw that in any other business, like a restaurant yeah, you with two stars, you'd be like, okay, well, there's, there's something wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I just, I realized that even in June and July, I was like, I'm not in this anymore. I'm not the same person. I'm, I, and I don't know what it's going to take to recover, but, uh, that's where I was like, all right. And I went back to the previous, to the, the remaining landlords. And I was like, look, you need to start looking for someone else. I'm done. I can't keep working anymore. Um, and, uh, so I was like, if there's a transition period, I'm all for it. I'll help the new guy hand you over the keys, you know? So you didn't sell your business at all? No, no. Just kind of um, backed just away. Just kind of backed away, closed up shop. I just, uh, I, I, I did. And I looked at my portfolio and I looked at what I was doing and I was like, I don't, I don't need to do this anymore. And that was also kind of the final, um, nail on the coffin where I was like, my heart isn't in it anymore. Why am I continuing? Do well, I need to? Yeah. And the answer was no. So what were the biggest lessons I think that you learned from all this? Well, one, um, taught me to slow down. I mean, I've always been running, you know, in sixth gear, like always in sixth gear. And I was even talking to a friend about this the other day because, um, life would throw problems at me and people like if I, I, I talk to people and I tell them stories about what's going on in my life. They're like, how do you deal with that? How is that? Like, how is that a normal day for you? I'm like, just happens to be a normal day. Yeah. And the problems that come my way, you know, uh, you know, discovering a dead body, dealing with a murder, you know, it's like, Oh, that is all right. Cool. Makes my day interesting. I've always said, you know, why hasn't uh, HGTV picked up my TV pilot yet? You know, cause I've got some inter you want some entertaining real estate. You know, I, yeah, sure. That guy's fixing a basement. I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with, you know, yeah. my life. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and it's because I'm always running and I'm always on sixth gear. And what's happened since I've slowed down is, um, I've noticed that now, now that I'm on second gear, things that didn't bother me before bother me now. Like and what? Little incidentals, you know, just little things like it's like a tenant would send me an email and it's like, oh, tap knees replaced. But now when I get the email, it's like, oh, what? And and I was wondering, I was like, what is it? Am I, am I still burned out? Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's because now that I've stepped back, I'm starting to notice that these problems are, I'm starting to realize their problems and experience the frustration. And that's what, what has happened is now I'm actually feeling again. I'm no longer that robot. I'm no longer on analytical mode anymore. Uh, very interesting. So um, I've slowed down. I'm taking my time. I'm also introducing a lot of balance to my life because up until that moment, there was no balance in my life. And I made it a, as a conscious choice. I knew what I was doing. 
I'm like, I know I'm not going to have balance in my life because I'm going for something. I'm going big. I'm dreaming big. I'm a very ambitious person. I've got to keep going. And I have to do it now while I'm young because I can't do it when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old. I'm not going to have the stamina. I'm going to have family. I'm going to have other life obligations. I might not even have the health, mm-hmm. you know? So I got to do it when I'm young. That's why I did it. Why I, I ran out of the gates at 18, started to run. That's, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to a proverbial uh, finish line. I got to the end and I was like, huh, is that it? Yeah. Cool. That was eventful. And, and, I, and I did. I questioned. I'm like, who am I doing this for? Because it certainly isn't for me anymore. So yeah. um, I'd forgotten why I went out in the first place to do that. And I used to say to myself as a kid, do it when you're young. And I would tell every investor, you have to do it when you're young. Because uh, now what I told myself, I wouldn't exactly say this anymore. But I says, look, um, the only life, you, you can't neglect a life that's not there. So I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. So I'm not, no one's screaming, hey, where's dad when I'm not at home? Well, it's, it's certainly easier when you're younger. Exactly. You have less obligations. You can go out and- You can dedicate more of the time and energy to build the momentum you need to get the ball rolling. Exactly. And the phrase that would come back to haunt me is, the only life you're neglecting is your own. And, and that's what happened. As I realized, I was like, crap. That's- uh, that was the phrase I was like, I've neglected myself so long. I've been running with an engine light on for years. And it finally came crashing down in 2021 where I was like, okay, I need to stop. I'm done. Um, my body was sending me signals. That's why I think I had chest pains and, 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 and my, I had completely shut off as a person. That's basically your body telling you stop. Mm-hmm. And, and I just didn't stop. And that's when I stopped. And slowly I've been recovering it. I can feel things starting to come back to me. Um, and that's why I walked away from the property management. And that's why, you know, even right now, it's like you could throw tons of money my way and say, can you take care of this? And it's like, no, nope, not interested in that. Yeah. I've reintroduced balance to my life and uh, I'm content with that. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's, it's, it's interesting because all the energy it took and that go-getter attitude is what you needed to get started. Yes. It's like, taking too much of the poison. Yeah. Like a little bit builds that tolerance, like a little bit's good, a little bit's good, right? Those minor stresses, good, good, good. Yep. But then you just get caught on the treadmill. Like, but it's also like that single mindedness. Yes. Is, is what you need. It, and it, it worked. I mean, as much as I, you know, where I am. Like maybe you have to go through this. I, I think you kind of have to do it. I'm not sure if I would necessarily recommend someone to do it. I'm not, a, I, I haven't figured that out. I'm like, mm-hmm. what was it worth it? I mean, I, I, I did what I set out to do. And I'm at a point now where I don't have to go out and get another job. I can live comfortably. I'm not driving a Lamborghini. I'm not, you know, I'm not wealthy. I'm not swimming in a pool of gold. There's, you but know. compared to the average Canadian. But compared to, you know, some families in, in impoverished com- countries, I'm doing yeah. very well. Yeah. You know. You've, you've figured out the financial portion of it. Exactly. Life. So it's like, yeah. But that's a portion. Exactly. Um, and, that's, and that's what I also realized is it's like, yeah. okay, I've, I've done that part of my life. Now there's so many other things that I need to touch on. There's the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, like all that sort of stuff. I've neglected that for so long that now that my financial uh, portion is done, like I can close the book on that. And now I got to focus on the other three aspects of life, which is those things. Um, Does that mean I'm done buying property? No. Am I going to still flip some deals? 
Absolutely. Yeah, but you're almost in maintenance mode. Exactly. It's like you're not learning how to flip a deal. You know how to flip a deal. Exactly. And you can do it. It's kind of just easy now. I'm also not looking for the deals. I'm letting them come to me. Mm-hmm. So every you know every time I bought a property, it's like okay, well, now is the next one. Where's the next one? I, I kept looking for. I'm always looking you're on the for the deals. Now, I mean, I still look at the properties, but there's less aggression behind it because it's like I don't need another property. I would like to flip another property. I'd like to grow my portfolio and uh, and whatnot, but there's no push behind it. There's no, I don't need the momentum anymore because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a point where it's comfortable. I'm happy, mm-hmm. you know, um, not as comfortable as I was six months ago when the interest rates went from 2.5 to 5.95. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's still, I'm like, okay, I'm still doing good. You know, it's fine. Um, I, I've also, I think recently come to the un- unfortunate realization in my life that I can't do it all. Yeah. You, you really can't dedicate all your time to, to everything. Yes. It, it's just, you got to pick and choose. And I don't, maybe like, I don't know what the right approach is. Is it just keeping everything in balance and trying to do a bit of everything? But I always feel in the back of my mind, a little bit of frustration because I know there's so much potential in all these areas yes. that I'm not reaching because I'm trying to do a bit of everything. Um, but then if you go all in on one thing, then everything else gets neglected. So it's like, what do you neglect? What do you, it's hard. It's well, hard. that's also why I'm a big believer. One, when it comes to business, pick your lane and, and just stick with it. You know, um, so I liked long-term residential real estate. You know, I like when my tenants stay five years. That's good. You know, cause every time a tenant moves, I have to take a chance on somebody else. It's like, oh yeah, I got an extra hundred bucks. But what happens if this guy is not as nice as the old tenant? I'd have a old tenant all day long, stay there for five years, pay your rent. My bills are fixed, like I said. Mm-hmm. So I know that as long as you pay your rent, my bills get paid and everything keeps going. Um, I don't want ups and downs in my business, you know? Um, so one, I think that's where a lot of people get a lot of frustration and stress because they're taking on everything. They're like, well, I've got long-term rentals and then I'm gonna start looking at Airbnb. And I also wanna do short-term rentals and student rentals and 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 uh, let's, uh, Flip a house too. It's like, no. Every time you're learning a new strategy, you're making all the mistakes Correct. that you have to make in that strategy to learn. Correct. So no, pick a lane, stick with it. And then once you've done that, you've created your process. Once you've created your process, then everything becomes a little bit easier. And that's when you can start bringing back the balance into your life, which is the other aspects of life, friends and family and travel and enjoying, you know, and, and enjoying whatever it is that you're passionate about outside of the real estate. Um, for the last three years, all I've heard from a lot of people is real estate, real estate, real estate. It's like, you don't have anything else going on. How, you mm-hmm. know, like while they're at the beginning of their journey, maybe. Right? Oh, absolutely. when people yeah. at the beginning of their journey. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that because yeah. now you're not the same person you were when yeah. you started your journey. Yeah. You're everything that Adam went through. You're all the, the, the dead bodies and the heroin woman delivering a baby. Yep. So how do you kind of integrate back to maybe a regular life with some more balance after that? Well, ironically enough, when I first started buying properties, when I actually was a kid and I had dreamed of the day that I would build a little portfolio of myself, um, the dream wasn't um, of riches. The dreams was of being comfortable. Something that I've always strived for my entire life is stability. Um, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was about to say your childhood. Basically, yeah, the childhood, right? So I moved around a bunch when I was in, in, uh, young and, you know, I looked at the way I grew up and I went, that's definitely not something that I want. And so the problem with human nature is that when we see something and we don't like it, we overcorrect, you know? Um, so if you, for example, have a parent that's an alcoholic, chances are the child will not even touch alcohol. 
well, that's an overcorrection. You can still have a beer and still get, you know, be fine. You know, but we always overcorrect. So if we see our parents, um, we go to the other end of the spectrum, and that's exactly what I did. Um, so, but my goal was to get to a point where I was comfortable, not uh, so not in the point where like I have a big ass massive house and seventeen cars. That was not interesting to me. What I was interested in is the the freedom, so that you know I would never have to miss my kids' martial arts uh, test or practice. I could always be home. Mm-hmm. You know, no one was ever going to wonder when's dad going to be home. That's what I wanted. I want to get to the point where my business was so self-sustained and on maintenance mode that I chose where I want to be present in any moment. I can still work, but when I needed to be home, when things are serious, I can be home. The other thing that I want to create was a foundation so that of stability for myself so that way when things go bad, I mean talking really bad, mental, physical, uh, cancer, anything like that, I can be the guy who says, I got you. Don't worry. Because lives fall apart when things like that happen. Because what happens? Well, you can't work anymore. What happens when you can't work? You lose your income. Then you wait for the government to pay the bills. That's not going to happen. So I've seen literally lives unravel because of illnesses. Um, You know, people not going to work for months and months and months, and you just kind of stagnate, and you're on buffer mode or whatever it is, and you start to lose your home, and you lose everything. And I've seen that. I've experienced that. It's a terrible experience. And I said to myself, well, if I can build just enough that I never have to go through that, and God forbid, if I get sick or anyone else that I know that's close to me gets sick, I can say, I got you. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something as simple as, I'm going to put you in one of my apartments. You can stay there until this whole thing blows over. That's, That's what I wanted. That was the life that I planned to create. And then, like I said before, when, and I just set out on that path. That was my path. That's what I wanted to do. I says, I want to get to the point where I have a nice home that I can pay for. I can afford it. You know, I like, you know, a nice, reliable car. I can drive that. And I have the time freedom to travel and visit the people that I want to see and do the things that I want to do and that I'm not tied to an office. I could drive a Lamborghini, but I'd also have to work a lot harder for it. And what's the point? Mm-hmm. If I spend all day in the office and the car sits in the driveway, not enjoying it. So I want to enjoy my life. And that's what I wanted to do. The problem is, as you go along life, you listen to other people and the things that they say to you, the things that they say about you and the things that you don't believe in. And then you start suddenly trying to prove yourself. So I start taking on more and more people's obligations and I put them on my plate and I start to think that's why I was trying to grow this property management business. And that's why I was trying to do all these other things. Um, do you think it was an ego thing? Absolutely. There was a, there was definitely a, not in a, um, a braggadocious way, but it was more of a, I wanted to prove them wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I guess you could call it, I would say maybe a bit of ego in there and the fact that it's like, you don't think I can do it. I'm going to show you that I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's also just such good fuel. Yeah. Talk about it like a lot of athletes really dig into that, right? Michael Jordan's the most famous one. Exactly. Um, but Michael Jordan, I mean, even you watch that documentary, he's, he was all basketball. He's so unbalanced. Exactly. So aggressive and not a good person to a lot of the people around him. Exactly. And I've seen that also happen to other people. I've seen business people who are absolutely brilliant in business and terrible in every other aspect of life. And so that's why when I was like a young kid, I was like, no, I'm going to bust my ass and get to the get to the end when i get to the end that's when i'm going to put the balance back into place okay i don't want to lose myself in the business i don't want to um become one of those people too 
Um, and that's the other thing where, for me as well, the, the thing that I believe helped me stay grounded um, is I never changed my friends group. You know, people are like, oh, you are who you hang around. Or as you grow, you have to change your network. Your net worth is your network. Your net worth is your, it's like, no, I'm still best friends with the guy that I met in high school at the age of 13. He's still my best friend. He's not in real estate, mm-hmm. you know, and I love him to pieces. And I think if you asked him today and you asked him 12 years ago who I was, I'd be the same person. I'm still the same person as I am with one building as I am with 20. Like, and, and I think that's really important. And he's part of that process. And I can name 20 other people who are also part of that, where it's like, these are the people who call you out and say, you, you know, as you grow, these are the people that know you before you thought you were anybody, before you actually were anybody. And they're the ones who keep you humble, you know? Um, and actually, he was even one that was very important to me, too, because I remember I called him last year or back, back in tw- 2021. And I was like, I'm not happy. I don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. I'm not successful enough. I'm not doing enough. This is just such so frustrating for me. I, I, I don't know why I can't shake this feeling. And he goes, well, how many buildings do you own? I told him. And he goes, do you know how many people I know have that many buildings? It's like, no. He's like, I know one person. I was like, oh, who is it? It's like, it's you, you dumbass. Yeah. It's like, it's you, you're, you, you know, you are enough. You've done enough. You've shown, you know, and I was like, okay. And that was part of, you know, my, my realization. There was a lot of different components that brought me back to earth to say, you know, it was that phone call, that person that said, okay, you are enough. You know, it was the, the health problems that started appearing in my life. The, the many, many gray hairs that popped up, you know, it was the, the disconnect between me and everybody in my life, you know. Um, this sense of why am I trying to prove myself to everybody? That's, I think, what it is. I think that that's what happens is truly successful people go out on their own to try and prove it to themselves, but then end up trying to prove it to other people. And then as they grow and as they surround themselves with better people, it starts to kind of fester into something more. And that's why here, like Michael Jordan became a terrible person because as he grew, he dropped people and found new people. And if you go into a group of real estate investors and say, I want to buy a property, they're going to be like, yeah, we, yeah, buy more property. I never did that. I kept surrounding myself with other people, the people that I remembered when I was a kid. And I said to them, I'm going to buy more property. And they questioned every single time I did it. And I think that's kind of that check and balance. You don't want yes men. Did, did you feel frustrated at the time though? Like, don't you guys get it? Yes. Like real estate's going to give me freedom. Don't you get it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. But now looking back, you can say that that was the most valuable thing. Correct. Yes. Because um, you need a check and balance. You need people who are going to question um, who you are. Not how do you put that? Yeah, no, I, I think it is. It's it's you need that check and balance. You need someone to basically say, "Are you sure?" Yeah, why? You know, why, why are you doing building? this? And then you have to go through that whole exercise of justifying it, and if, and eventually you might not be able to justify it, and hopefully you listen to that. You know, um, and and that was part of it too. That's why I couldn't justify the property management anymore. I was like. Why am I doing this anymore? Who am I doing this for? Because the people I do it for don't appreciate it. Um, and, that, and that's when I walked away. And that's where it all just started to kind of, like I kind of fell back into 10 years ago. And I was like, why did I do this in the first place? Time freedom. Do I have that? No, I could. If I got rid of this property management business, I'd have a lot of freedom. I'd have a lot of freedom to go out and buy more properties and build my own buildings um, and do what I do very, very well. 
and still have time to go out on weekends and enjoy my free time and travel, and which is something I've done. I've reintroduced balance back into my life. And now that I've reintroduced balance back to my life, I'm not interested in moving that. So when I say it's like, I kind of closed the chapter on my real estate uh, to, to create more, uh, expand my other interests. And it's, I'm not done, I'm still gonna buy more buildings, but it's at a slower pace and there's no push behind it anymore. Mm-hmm. So when the right opportunity comes along, boom, done, I'll see it. I'll be like, that's the one. But if it doesn't, like right now, I've, I've been looking for property at the last three months and I haven't seen anything that really piques my interest. But I know if I'd been looking for the last three months, two years ago, something would have piqued my interest. I would have been like, mm. Mm, let's try that one. Let's do that one. Let's go for that one. That's the amazing thing about real estate too. Cause what other business can you just have buzzing along in the background? Yep. Maintenance mode in your life, yep. providing you your foundation for finances, but really without a lot of work. Like once, like once you have that building set up, once you have the tenants in there, you figured out all the maintenance issues, then it's just the odd maintenance call. Exactly. The odd tenant turnover. Like it's not tax time. There's a few little, you know, things here and there, but there's always something going on, but nothing that's really perplexing, nothing that's overwhelming. And that's what it is. There's no more chase anymore. I I've, I've been done. I'm done chasing. I used to chase owners and man, uh, and management companies. And I was chasing and chasing and I was chasing deals. and I was chasing people. And I was like, look, look, this is what I'm doing. Notice, see what I'm doing, please. You know, for yeah. the love of God, I'm very good management. You know, I remember getting passed over for deals and then they would come back to me after three managers, after the other three got fired. And it's like, why was I fourth? Have you ever seen that you movie? Know? Yes, man. by yes. Jim Carrey. Yes. And his life is just in a rut. He's yep. depressed and he works some dead end job and he hates his life. And he goes to this conference and the idea of the conference is start saying yes yep. to everything in your life. And then life just opens up for him because yep. every, anything that anyone ever asks him, he has to say yes. I think it was for a year. Yep. And so his life just completely changes and it's all for the better. And it's a good story. I watched that when I was like 20, I was like, I've got nothing going on in my life and I've got these ambitions. I'm just going to start saying yes to yeah. everything that comes up. And I consciously made a choice and I didn't say yes to everything by any means. I definitely said no to some things, but I started saying yes. And it's led to a lot of opportunities. It's led to me now uh, hosting this podcast and being yeah. here with Rockstar and all these amazing opportunities in my life. But like I said, I burned out probably in the spring of this last year, pretty yeah. hard, maybe not as hard as you, um, to be fair. But, um, I, I realized I need to make the conscious choice to start saying no. Yes. And I was like, okay, this is a new chapter in my life. I'm saying no more often than I was before, at least. Maybe I'm not a complete no person, but I'm saying no more often. And that's exactly it. I was always a yes person. People would throw me every situation. I'd be like, yeah. Which is the right thing to do when you got nothing going on. Exactly. And I mean, my my, uh, big belief, like Richard Branson said it, he says, if a good opportunity comes your way, you say yes. Even if you're not ready for it and you don't know how to deal with it, you figure it out. If someone brings you an opportunity and it's a good deal, you say yes. And when you're starting out, if anyone brings you anything, say yes. Exactly. And that's why I had to- Even if it doesn't look good. Correct. And that's why I had to do the buildings that I did. Yeah. No one's going to say, hey- I was just thinking that, those buildings. Right? Uh, No one's going to come to a 22-year-old and be like, hey, this is my uh, $200 million asset of beautiful rentals. Do you want to take care of it with no experience? Yeah. So the only deals that I got was the shit ones. And I I made the best hand that I could with the deals and the properties that I had. And I just kept- replaying my hand over and over again, refinancing my, you know, my deals and fixing things up until I got to the point where it was like, now, now people are coming to me. But again, I was never first. I was always the third person that they would call. 
And after the other two got sick of it or got fired or, you know, couldn't deal with it, that's when I was called in. And that was that chase mentality. It was like, why do I have to keep chasing? Why doesn't anything ever fall into my lap? Um, I chased the deals. I chased the owners. I chased the business. I chased everything. And then last year just was like, no, I'm done. I'm good. Awesome. Man. And I stopped good chasing. for you. Good and that's for you for realizing. And that's why I don't chase the real estate anymore. If a deal comes into my lap, if I see a deal come across my desk and I'm like, that's a good deal, put an offer in. Did yeah. I get it? Cool. If I don't, I don't need it. Yeah. You know? Well, you figured out the finances. Like we said, I mean, there's your relationship, yep. there's your health, yep. your mental health, your yep. physical health, there's spirituality, yep. there's your friends, there's your family, there's hobbies, there's passions, there's, you know, your work, which yep. might just be real estate, yep. but, um, it's just one small aspect, right? And there's so much more than just the real estate or just the finances, but it's something you got to figure out. Exactly. And real estate's a powerful way to do it. And that was, that was it. That's how I, yeah, that was my kind of my full circle where I was like, I started in real estate and now I got to the end of the, the road where a proverbial chapter and I was like, all right, what's next? No idea. Yeah. Yeah. You can just tell from your, your energy, man, that you're chill. Yeah. You're like, that's, I'm good. I'm chilling. Yeah. And that's a powerful place to be in, in your life, I think. I also, I mean, maybe um, from a subconscious level or whatever, the timing also kind of forced me to take it as well. Like the whole market shift and the interest rates and the inflation, even if I wanted to, I really couldn't push. I can't refinance properties. Um, the loan to values are all off and the ca buildings don't cash flow. Um, yeah, a lot of so investors, I think, have by their hand or not been forced into uh, maintenance mode or defense mode. Exactly. Yeah, I know I'm defense. I was all aggression when I started 2019 yep. building my portfolio. Now I'm defense mode, protecting what I've got. Correct. And so that's kind of where I'm like, okay, one, I want to do this. I want to stop. I want to take a break. And then the market was like, oh, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll do that for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it has kind of like worked in that respect. And so now I've, I've looked at, you know, everything and I went, okay. Now it's time to go and travel and do the stuff that uh, I didn't get to do. And amazing. And, and, uh, and that's where I am now. You did another thing, which is uh, what I wish I had done, which was not go to university. Mm. And I went to business school because I graduated after high school. Took, about a, took a year off because I just couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Yep. But I knew I wanted to start a business, get into business. And I, I didn't have any opportunities in, right in front of me that I could see. I didn't know what businesses start. Yep. I didn't have any hard skills like, you know, being an electrician or a contractor. And I was like, okay, I'll go to business school and try to figure it out. You know, learn how to start a business at least. Yep. And went through four years of business school. By my third year, I was spending all my time in classes uh, reading real estate investing blocks because yep. I had met a real estate investor at that point. And I was just ready to get out of there. And it was a huge waste of time and money for me. And I wish I had found a place like Rockstar when I was 18, you know, ideally worked here, found a way to work here, but at least started as a member, yep. got into real education from real teachers who are doing real things. Like if I want to learn about student rentals, I want to learn from someone doing student rentals. Yes. I would take business classes on investment, um, on investing in stocks and stuff from people who were, had, were they were professors. They yeah. were still working in active income. It just wasn't the, the teacher that I wanted. I was taking entrepreneurship classes from people who had never started a business. Yeah. It was like you're teaching from a textbook. What experience do you have? It was fake teachers like Robert Kiyosaki talks about. Yeah. And I wish I would have found a place like Rockstar with real teachers teaching real things. Yeah. 
Yes. And then tried to work my way in here, you know, like get a job here or something and just soak it up from another entrepreneur, start business instead of learning how to start a business. And so I felt that left me actually about four years behind. Now hindsight, you know, 2020, maybe it helped me get into Rockstar and I've learned so much, but yeah, it's something that I wish if I could go back, I wouldn't have spent the money. Yeah, no, I knew from a young age that university was not the path for me. I was never a school kid. I did not enjoy school. Um, and frankly, I didn't have the money, the means to go there. I mean, I could have got an OSAP loan. And I'm like, if someone's willing to loan me $100,000, I'm buying a house. Like, yeah, it's not my, I'm not interested. I knew from a young age, um, I was lucky in the fact that I knew what I wanted to do from a very young age. So that I just basically dedicated my life to doing that. Um, but I, I knew that I wasn't going to go to uh, university. I did not want to work a nine to five for the rest of my life. Um, I knew that I wanted to get into real estate. So whatever the quickest path was to that was why I went out and worked whatever job I could get, took any opportunity that I could get, put every single dollar that I could in the bank account because I knew that college and university for the most part is a scam. I mean, there's absolutely legitimate degrees, you know, um, you know, people are becoming lawyers and doctors and the STEM field. Exactly. Absolutely. You need to do those types of things. Um, every year, the value of a university and college degree goes down. Yes. And the cost goes up. It's double inflating. Mm. And I think it's, I'm just not afraid to say it anymore. Like I haven't met many people in my life, friends and stuff, people I went to school with that it really benefited them to a major degree. Now I know everyone wants a degree and diploma to get a job. And you know, a lot of you have to start working a job really to to get the income going. It's tough. It's this weird transition point. I feel like in our society with the internet, with AI, with all these things happening where, you know, I just feel like it's on its last legs at least. But then there's the experience of going to school and and people, the social aspect, like the actual schooling's like five to 10% of the experience. Yeah, I know, but I can still go to college parties because I knew people who went to school. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So, and that was it. Like, I remember being very, very young as a, like, I'm talking like 10 years old. I was like, I remember watching, I don't know what it was. I also, I think Freakonomics came out around 2004, 2005, and I read that book and a bunch of other books. And I remember looking at the inflation of business degrees. And I was like, back in the 80s and 90s, if you had a BA, that was impressive. Now you need a PhD. It's not even a master's anymore. You need a PhD. So I saw the inflation of degrees because everyone was going to school. And then what else did I notice? Oh yeah, they were talking about automated cars like you know, 15, 20 years ago, they were talking about automated cars. Like, well, what's that gonna do for all the truck drivers? Can you imagine every truck driver getting laid off? We'd have a, it'd be a nightmare. And then we've got automated machines that are cleaning floors and introducing caching, uh, cashless, uh, uh, we don't need the cashiers anymore, whatever. I'm like, in the next 20 years, I was a bit off on my projections, but I'm like, major job loss is going to happen. Robots are going to take over most of the jobs. It's like, so where, do, where am I going to go work? How am I going to make my income? Because I'm certainly not going to rely on the government. And that's the other reason why I went to real estate, because there's nowhere else... Um, we can't replace it. There's, there's until we, you know, start sleeping in pods or the government changes the way we live. Like that's, you always need somewhere to sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's why real estate has always been tried and true. Residential. There's no other industry. Residential real estate has always existed since mm-hmm. the beginning of time. Uh, no other industry I believe has stood as long as that. There's, you know, we've had Blockbuster. Now we got Netflix. Um, so every other industry eventually dies off. Um, and I also do believe, yeah, a lot of jobs are going to disappear. A lot of 
uh, the way we live is going to disappear. Um, and then I also remember reading about how the population is getting older because my parents are one in five. I'm one of two. So somehow things are going to start tilting in the other direction. They're already talking about, you know, understaffing at uh, seniors homes. That's because there's so many of them. Mm. Our parents are one of four, five, six. How many siblings do you have? One or two. Mm -hmm. So there's a tilt. So the population is getting older, which means more people are entering the retirement age, which means they're sucking up all the social assistance, which means you've got too many people on the system than working, which is going to create a, a problem. And these and, and are, is it as extreme as what I'm saying? No, but that's what I was thinking about when I was you know a kid trying to navigate how I was going to live the rest of my life. It's like, okay, so... You're a paranoid kid, man. I was a pretty paranoid kid. <laughs> So I was like, no, 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 no. I got, I got, I got to build a, a nice little nest egg for myself so that I can ride out the wave. Yeah. And I'm not worried about re my retirement, um, and I'm not worried about my job, losing my job to some robot or whatever, you know. Um, and and uh, I mean, all of these things are actually true. I think, and some sort of, you know, they're slowly starting to be un unravel themselves. And then, of course, what we didn't expect was COVID, where we spent six hundred, you know, what was it, six hundred billion or something like that? I don't know, a ridiculous amount of money. That's all going to need to be paid back. How? And it was a ridiculous amount of money paid to to keep people inside of their residential real estate, inside of their homes, right? Mm -hmm. That's where everyone took shelter to. Exactly. Yeah. Real estate's the best. So that's why. I was like, real estate, it's undefeated. It's unbreakable. Yeah. You know, like that's- Undefeated. It's undefeated. Yeah. And for the next hundred years, we're going to be living in houses. Yeah. So it only has to last that much longer anyways. Yeah. What happens after 100 years doesn't matter because I won't be here. Um, you know, so that's kind of, that's the reason why I went to real estate. That's why I skipped college because I, I, I didn't see a purpose. I didn't see myself there. I didn't like the environment of what school was anyways. Um, it's a four-year party for, yeah. that That was my experience with yep. seeing my friends go through it and stuff. Yep. I was commuting. I was working in a warehouse to pay yep. for it all. So luckily I didn't get sucked into all that actually. Yeah. But uh, Adam, yes. awesome. Amazing story. Um, it's really cool how you realized what was happening in your life and yep. you, you turned things around and I'm excited for this next chapter for you, man. I can tell you've, uh, you've earned it. I so it. I hope you enjoy it, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you again to Adam Kitchener for sharing his true experience with property management and real estate investing. He's been on quite the journey and I appreciate his honesty sharing that story so we can all learn from it. Adam mentioned he doesn't really have anything to promote, but he said you can check out all his different social media with the handle Mr. Adam Kitchener across all the different social platforms, which we'll put in the show notes along with Adam's first episode on this podcast with Tom from 2020 when he was in the thick of his property management business. I'll also put a link to those rockstar reports I mentioned at the beginning of the show, such as does paying for your kid's education really makes sense and beat the inflation crisis your practical guide to outmaneuvering rising prices and the destruction of your savings that you can download for free at rockstarinnercircle.com reports that's that'll be in the show notes thank you for listening everyone hope to catch you next time